Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, CityWalk Church. How are we doing? Well, if you're watching online, welcome. If you're here with us this morning, uh, glad that you're here. It's such a beautiful day outside. We're getting ready for Easter. My, my daughter, such a, I mean, the pastor's daughter, my daughter says this. So she's, hey, you know my favorite part of Easter, Dad? Tell me, tell me Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, give me, give, me the, give me the answer. When you hide my Easter basket and I get to go find it on Sunday morning. And so she's been talking about that this week. And so we're getting ready for Easter just like you are. Uh, if you haven't heard, just to give you a quick rundown before we dive into part four of our series, uh, this Friday night, we have a Good Friday service. We're going to do our Good Friday service uh, right out in the courtyard. It's going to be about 45 minutes long, start at 6. It's going to be a communion service. Uh, it's going to be a good time. And then on next Sunday, if you come at 10 o'clock, you're either going to be really early for one service or really late for the other service. So next week, uh, because it's Easter and there'll be some more folks here, we're going to do two services. Uh, one is at 9 o'clock and one is at 1045 and then there's an Easter egg hunt in the middle uh, for the kids and so choose the one that fits best for you guys and uh, we're looking forward to a really good kind of start to spring as we begin the Easter kind of holiday and, and we move into that this week. Uh, this time of year has been an interesting time of year. I remember last year at this time uh, as we were wondering, you know, are we, how's Easter? What's it going to look like? And it was obviously a little different than we expected. But it's, it's exciting this time of year. Things are getting back to somewhat normal uh, in some ways. And one of the things that you've experienced over this last season, just like I have, is, and maybe it's one of the blessings that we've had, is over this last season, because of all that's been going on, we've been blessed to spend more time with our families. For some of you, you're like, I'm about ready for that blessing to go away. Uh, but over this last season, you, you've been able to, just like we have, uh, spend a little extra time with your family. In our family, we have three kids. We have a 19-year-old. Uh, we have a 16-year-old and a 7-year-old. And we, we try to do things together just like you do with your kids. And uh, we also try to not just do things as a family, but we try to do things maybe individually with each of them. Uh, my son and I, we try to catch breakfast once in a while. My oldest, uh, my youngest, who's seven, and this should probably scare me already, a, a, a good day for her is a, a trip to Target and a frosty afterwards. Uh, and so I, I'll do that with her. And then my middle daughter, who was up here, she was a part of the worship team, Julia. We started something new this year, and we started taking karate together. And so... We, we'd taken karate, and over this past week, last Monday night, we were in our karate class, and, and after our karate class, we got into the car, and we're headed back home, and, and I said two things to Julie. I said, hey, today, a couple things that, that kind of I took away from our class. One thing is, because of all the mirrors in the room, I realized my gut is bigger than I hoped it was. 
uh, because the room's full of mirrors. And then the second thing I said is, I was so glad to have the teenagers in front of me doing the drills because if I wouldn't have had those teenagers as an example and different people ahead of me to, to show me, I was listening to the teacher, but I was really looking at the person in front of me like, what are you doing with your foot? What are you doing with your hands? I, I would have made myself a fool, but I was so thankful that there was a girl and a guy in front of me that knew exactly what they were doing, so I didn't make it on like funniest home videos for some crazy fall in a karate room. I was thankful for the example. And whether it's in karate or maybe it's another area of life, aren't you glad we have examples? I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing worse than somebody saying, hey, I want you to be involved in this, or maybe you're passionate about doing something, and they're saying, hey, I want you to do it, I want you to do it well, and you're like, hey, can somebody just show me? I'd, I'd love to know. For some of you, that's the way you learned. For some, you, man, you give them a book, and you read through it, and you're good. But for, for a lot of us, man, we want to see somebody do it, and if we can see somebody actually walk through it, it connects the dots for us. And that night at karate, I was so thankful for that. And, and in your life, you probably have different areas of your life where you're so thankful somebody kind of laid the framework and connected the dots and actually didn't just talk about it, but showed you how to do it. And one of the frustrations that maybe you've had in your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you felt this, whether you're watching online or you're here with us this morning, is this. Maybe you've had a heart for somebody that you love dearly. You, you've wanted to see somebody, maybe it's a, a son, a daughter, a brother, a, a co-worker, a neighbor, and you've wanted them to, to know Jesus. You've wanted them to have hope in their life. You, you've wanted to help in this area, but you, you look at the situation and you're like, man, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I go about talking to them about Jesus? I so want for them Jesus to be a part of their life, but I just, and I don't know how to approach it. And here's the good thing, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks, is that the thing is, you and I don't have to feel frustrated about that because Jesus did a really good job talking about his mission, but also giving us a clear example to follow. In fact, when he was about 30 years old and he began his ministry, Jesus was the type of guy that really frustrated people that were religious. And in fact, he upset the apple cart in a big way for the religious system because he, he didn't hang out with the people the religious people hung out with. He, he didn't do exactly what the religious people did. He didn't talk the way the religious people talked. And so it bothered, it bothered them, in fact, to the point where they wanted to kill him. And one day, and, and Matt, you talked about this a little bit last week. Matt, Matt preached for us and did a great job last week. One, one of those instances was when he was hanging out with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And this drove the religious leaders nuts because a tax collector was like the, the bottom rung of people that you don't hang out with. And Jesus is inviting himself over to his house for dinner. And so, man, it bothered the religious people. And so Jesus, in that passage where they talk about Zacchaeus, Jesus says, hey, guys, I didn't come here to win a popularity contest. I didn't come here to, to win a beauty contest. I didn't come here to win an election. 
He said, let me tell you why I came here, and maybe you'll understand why I'm hanging out with Zacchaeus. And he said it this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says this, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Hey guys, I know you're upset at me. You don't like who I hang out with, but at the end of the day, I'm not here to win any contest. I'm here on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. And so guess what? You got to hang out with the lost if you're going to save them. If you're going to rescue them, you got to know them. And so that Jesus tried to make that clear. And he, he said, hey guys, the, the reason why I left heaven, the reason why I came to earth is because sin had broken a relationship between God and man, and man couldn't fix it, and so I came to rescue. I came to heal the relationship between God and man through my life, my death, and my resurrection. And early on in Jesus' ministry, after he is, he's very clear with why he's here, he invites his followers to not be spectators, but to be participants in the mission of God. He says, hey, this is why I came. I came to rescue. I came to seek and to save the lost. But I'm not, I'm not here to do it all by myself. In fact, I want to invite you to get off the sidelines and join in the mission of God. He said it this way in John chapter 20, verse 21. He said, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Just as the Father, he, he sent me on a rescue mission. Now I am sending you to be a part of that. I'm sending you to do what I came to do. One of the statements we've said in this series over the past few weeks is this. Joining the mission of God is the path to purpose and fulfillment. Joining the mission of God, saying yes, putting your yes on the table when Jesus says, hey, I want you to join in the mission. I want you to follow my example. When we say yes to that, it's, it's the pathway to purpose and real fulfillment. You, you want a life of purpose? Get involved in the mission of God. You, you want to get to the end of your life fulfilled, feeling like your life mattered? Get involved in the mission of God. See, following Jesus and being involved in his mission, it looks different for everyone, but it's not boring at all. Living for yourself, living for your personal comfort, living for the weekend is a rough way to live, and it's not a way to live if you want your life to count forever. Being a part of the mission of God is the path to purpose and fulfillment. We have some friends. In fact, just this couple week or two ago, I was talking to this guy, and he's a, a great family friend of ours. He's a friend of our church. He actually was out here. He's visited a few times, and it's just a, a good friend. He owns a thriving business in a state that people are moving to by the droves. I mean, he owns a, a great business. It's a really cool business, too. Uh, it just, it's doing really well. And then he was telling me, Hey, Chris, we were talking on the phone. He said, we sense that God wants us to be involved in his mission in a new way that we've never been a part of in a new way that we've never been involved. And he said, Chris, just the last few days, we've actually put our business on the table and said, God, if you want us to sell our business, 
Our yes is on the table. We want to be involved in the mission of God. We know that it's the path to purpose and fulfillment. And if that means doing something we never thought we would do and and selling our business so it frees us up to do what you want us to do, maybe in a different way than we've done it, man, we're willing to do that. Our yes is on the table. For, For most Being involved in God's mission doesn't mean selling your business and and moving to a different area. What it probably does mean, it means investing in people. It means being an example. It means following Jesus in your neighborhood, at your workplace, on your school team, with those in your home that you love dearly. It means following Jesus' example. And here's the example Jesus gave us. And this is what we've talked about over the last few weeks. When Jesus came to earth and he was a part of this rescue mission, he said, hey, here's how you can be a part of that. I want you to be involved in first prayer. Pray for people that are lost. Pray for people. Jesus prayed for people. He spent time with God in prayer. And then the second thing that Jesus did to give us an example is not only did he pray, but he cared. He met the physical needs of people. He didn't just pray for them. He prayed for them, and then he cared for them. He found out where their physical needs were, and he met those physical needs. But then the last thing he did, and he did this so well, is he shared. He told them the good news. He told them the truth so that they could have a relationship with him. And he's, he prayed, he cared, and he shared with people. He gave us an example. My friend Matt, who's a track coach, he gave me this baton. Didn't give it to me. I'll give it back to you, Matt. Let me borrow this baton. And this baton, if you uh, know anything about track, is pretty important. If you watch the Olympics, one of the maybe most exciting events that you can watch are the relays. And it's fun to watch the relays as people, man, run around the track and then, then it comes to the, the very, very, very critical time of where the baton goes from one runner to the next runner so the next runner can run. And you've watched it like I have over the years, some of the fastest teams, some of the teams that did the best and were supposed to win gold. Man, they, they were supposed to break world records, yet when they went to pass the baton, they didn't do a good job. Somebody dropped the baton and they were disqualified. Well, what Jesus did after he he left earth is he said, hey, I want to pass the baton to somebody, and I want you to take that baton. I want you to be faithful with my mission, and then I want you to pass the baton to the next generation. And that has been happening over and over and over again until now the baton has been handed to this generation. One of the guys that were probably the first that Jesus passed the baton to was a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul was a guy that early on in his life, he was an enemy of Christ. He was a Kansas City chief, and he was on the wrong team. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. If you don't know me, I'm from Tampa. Uh, and he became a buccaneer, and he got on the right team. Uh, and But when he was on the Kansas City Chiefs and he was going the wrong direction, he was very religious. He was trying to keep all the rules and he was trying to stop anybody that was a follower of Jesus. He didn't like them. But then once he met Jesus, his life was transformed. And now instead of religion and ritual, it was all about a relationship between him and Jesus. And that relationship transformed him. 
And then he wrote a little letter to his friends in a city by the name of Corinth about 23 years after he was transformed by Jesus. And he talked to them about the significance of saying yes to Jesus and his mission. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Paul was a tent maker. He, he was a, 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 he, a part of Jesus' mission, but kind of his side job, he was a tent maker. And so when he's talking about tents, he's talking about his body. He, he says, hey, Man, we, we have this earthly tent. We have this body. And, and for Paul, his body was breaking down. He had been beaten. He had been, uh, tried, they tried to kill him several times. And so, man, his earthly tent, his body was starting to break down. And, and he says, hey, this, this earthly tent, one day it's going to be destroyed. But when it's destroyed, there, there's a, another dwelling in the heavens that isn't made with hands. There's another body. There's an eternal body that I'm going to get. And he says this, in fact, the, the inside of me right now, I groan and I hope for that because my body's breaking down. And, and we can all relate to that. There's times you wake up in the morning, you're like, man, that eternal body is going to be nice because I am not feeling good this morning. And, we were setting up today and I was, we were literally saying like, man, this is, I'm not 30 anymore. I'm not 30 anymore. But, but, but Paul says, Hey, this, this earthly body, one day it's going to go away. And then this heavenly body, this eternal body, it's, it's going to come. And in fact, we groaned for that. We long for that day. But then he says this in verse nine, therefore, whether we are at, or, are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. He says this, whether I'm in my body now, I'm in my earthly body, or whether I'm at home in heaven, no, no matter what happens, no matter when that happens, when that transition happens, whether I'm here or I'm in heaven, my aim is exactly the same. It's to please God. I make it my goal to please God. And then here's what Paul does. He kind of pulls back the curtain on his motivations. Have you ever been so impressed with maybe an athlete? And you're so impressed. I just recently watched the, the Tim Park kind of documentary about the Chicago Bulls, and it's called The Last Dance. Many of you have watched it. And it, it really highlighted mainly Michael Jordan was kind of the, the key person that they, they really kind of looked inside what motivated him. And I remember watching this and thinking, man, this guy, this is a whole nother level of motivation and intensity inside this guy. Now I understand why he was so great throughout the 90s. There's something inside of him that other people just don't have. And what Paul's saying here is, hey, man, whether I'm here or whether I'm away, I want to be a part of God's mission. And my aim, my goal is to please God. And he says, let me tell you why I'm so motivated. He says this. He says in verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says, hey, one day, I'm going to stand before the Bema seat judgment. 
The Bema seat, in fact, we have a picture of Corinth and the Bema seat in Corinth was a place that Paul understood very well. And the people that were reading this, they understood this context. Basically, what the Bema seat was used for was judging in law. So you would come before the Bema seat and there would be judgments made. But it was also used in a different way. And this is what Paul was talking about. When you won an athletic competition, you would go before the Bema seat to get your reward. You would go to get your your wreath or your trophy, whatever you were taking for winning, you would get your prize in front of the Bema seat. And so here's what Paul's saying. One day, I'm going to stand before Jesus at the Bema seat. I'm not going to be judged for my sin. My sin was already taken for care of on the cross. But what I'm going to stand before Jesus for, I'm going to receive rewards for how I've used my body, how I've used my resources in ways that have eternal matter, that in ways that last for eternity. I'm going to get those rewards. And one day, one day I'm going to see Jesus. And when that day comes, I want to receive the rewards for being faithful with what he's given me. Paul goes on and he says this. He says, the love of Christ is what compels me. Some of you, whether you're watching online or maybe you're here this morning, you grew up in a religious family where the love of Christ wasn't what compelled you. If you're honest, guilt compelled you pleasing people compelled you. And you, you think, man, that's, that's really, it's, I, I kind of grew up in a system where we weren't compelled because of our love for Christ. We were compelled because we wanted to make sure we looked good in front of you or you, or we wanted to make sure we checked all the right boxes so that we didn't feel guilty. Paul says, no, man, I, 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 that's not why, man. One day I'm going to stand before Jesus And what compels me to be a part of the mission of God isn't guilt. It's not trying to please people. It's this love of Christ, the love of Christ that saw me running from him and snatched me from running from him and and came into my life and transformed me. I can't get over that. For, For some of us, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, unfortunately, some of us have gotten over it. We've gotten over the fact that Jesus transformed us. We've gotten over the fact that Jesus took our hell and gave us his righteousness. Paul says, I've never gotten over that. The love of Christ compels me. And he goes on. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for the one who died for them and was raised. Paul says this love of Christ. If you were to pull back and say, Paul, why are you so, why do you travel through cities? Why do you take beatings in every city? Why are you running for your life? Why are you so intent on loving people that hate you? He'd say, you know, one day. I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I want to hear him say, well done. I want to receive rewards for being faithful. And and you know another reason? Because you know what? On that Damascus road where Jesus transformed me, I've never gotten over that. 
and the love of Christ, it compels me. It compels me. He goes on and kind of finishes this passage. He says, from now on, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Paul says, I don't look at people from an earthly perspective anymore. Because of what Jesus did for me, because of the love of Christ, because of, because of I know I'm going to stand before him. I just don't look at people on their external anymore. I see the inside, and he goes on in verse 17, and he says, here's why. Because he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Paul says, I don't look at people from a human perspective anymore. I don't give up on people because I've seen Jesus transform me from the inside out. I've seen him take the people that were farthest from him and make them new on the inside. That's why I'm involved in the mission of God. That's why I do what I do. He says this in verse 20, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He says this, I'm Christ's representative. Why? Not, not because I'm getting my arm twisted. No, I'm his representative because I've never gotten over him. I'm his representative because I've seen how God's transformed me and I want that for other people. I'm not getting over him. There's one day I'm going to stand before God, and I know other people are too. And so, man, I, while I'm here, whether I'm here for 10 more years or whether I'm here for 20, doesn't matter. My goal is to please God. I'm his representative. I want to be involved in things that matter. I want to be involved in the mission of God. And now, some 2,000 years later, the baton has faithfully been passed from generation to generation to generation. It's been handed off to us. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have been invited into the same mission. You've been placed in a home. You've been placed in a neighborhood, a school, an office as his representative. And part of that process is praying for people that you want to see follow Jesus. Part of that process is caring for their physical needs, meeting their needs. But part of that process is also sharing with them, telling them the truth. This is a pretty obvious statement, but it's hard to embrace truth no one will tell you about. I mean, it's, it's, that's pretty obvious. But it's hard to say yes to something when nobody will tell you. It's hard to embrace Jesus if no one will tell you about Jesus. And so Paul, as he, he says, I'm a representative. And, and Paul followed Jesus' example of prayer, care, and share. It's important that we do the same. And you're like, maybe you push back a little bit. You're like, Chris, dude, the, the prayer part, I got that. I got the list, man. I'm praying for all these different people. I mean, I, I see that. Care part, man, that's kind of fun, actually. I enjoy caring for people. I enjoy meeting their physical needs, helping them. That's, that's fun for me. But Chris, if I'm honest, the, the hardest part for me 
is actually having a conversation with people and talking to them about how they can know and follow Jesus. And you might even say this, if we're honest, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed because maybe I don't really even know where to start. Like, what would I even say to someone? Well, I want you, if you have the app, you can look in the app and, and this little next section's right there for you. I want to give you some real practical steps to have a conversation with somebody. So first thing is you, you obviously got to start a conversation. And so starting a conversation with somebody is not holding up a sign saying, if you don't listen to me, you're going to hell. You can try that. And if you're, you're here this morning and you're like, man, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And one of the reasons I'm not is because I've seen too many of those kind of cats and that stuff doesn't, I'm, I'm not all for that. So, so how do you start a conversation with somebody? Real, real quick, three things. Ask. Ask questions. Ask questions about their life. Ask questions about their, their religious background. One of the things I like to do is, hey, did you grow up in a religious home? That's a totally, it's not an intimidating question. You just ask questions and then you listen. And then the next thing you do is as you're kind of have the conversation, you ask questions and then you admire. And here's what I mean. Say you're talking to somebody that, hey, they, they grew up, that you say, hey, what, 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 did you grow up in a religious home or what kind of was your background? They say, hey, man, I grew up in a Mormon home. We went, man, we were at the, the place every single weekend. You could say, you know what I, I really admire about Mormons? I love, they, they seem to really focus on the family. It seems to be a really important thing to them. And you admire and then you admit. And here's what, what I mean by that. You say, you know, I came to a place in my life where I, I just realized I needed a relationship with God. And, and you just admit, man, I, I kind of was messed up and I needed a relationship with God. I tried some religion, and, but I just, I found out I, I needed more than religion. I needed a relationship. You admit, and then you just share the good news with them. You're like, what's the good news? Well, if you look in your app, it's, it's real, real simple. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now. It transforms you now. And it lasts forever. This is the gospel. It's not complicated. It's not even super hard to like understand or remember. It's just a simple gospel. And then what, what, what is good to do after you kind of share it is you just maybe ask a couple questions. Like, does that make sense? Like, did I just totally confuse you? Or does that make sense? And what will happen is people will say, well, that one part, can you say that? I'm not sure about that one part, if it doesn't make sense. And then a simple question is, hey, is there anything holding you back right now from putting your faith in Jesus? And again, this isn't somebody that you've never met before. This is somebody that you've been praying for. This is somebody that you've cared for. You've met their physical needs. And now God's opened up a conversation with you and you're able to share with them the truth. And invite them to follow Jesus just like somebody loved you enough to do. See, God wants to use you. And Jesus has given us an example. And so the question is simply this. Are you and I willing to put our yes on the table? 
Are we willing to say, Jesus, you put me in a neighborhood? And my answer is yes. Jesus, you've put me at a workplace? My answer is yes. I'm going to be involved in your mission where you've put me. Over this past couple weeks, my wife and I, we have been, and my wife introduced it to me, have been captivated by a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. And it's a documentary, and then there's an interview, and I'm going to show you a portion of the interview here in a second. It's a documentary and an interview about the fastest growing church in the world. And it's in a place you would never expect the fastest growing church in the world to be. It's in the country of Iran. And the documentary talks about how people aren't understanding why mosques aren't, being, aren't filling up anymore in Iran. And there's this underground church where over a million people have begun to follow Jesus. And now the mosques are not as full as they used to be. There's, there's a, a bunch of people in the country of Iran that, that the country hates Israel, but there's a bunch of people in the country of Iran that love the Jewish people because they're followers of Jesus. And there was an interview done with one of the leaders of this underground movement, and they did it in an undisclosed country. They have to, you, you'll even hear, they have to disguise this guy's voice because it says there's a threat of death all the time. But the interviewer asked him a very specific question that I think is so pertinent to our conversation. And so I want you to watch a couple minute clip from this interview. Let's say that you had a child that, that grew up in America and wanted to stay. What would you tell them to do? How would you tell them to live practically? I would tell them to have a lifestyle of engaging the lost, showing that you care. We go to our stores, we go to discount stores, we go to clothing stores, and we don't even engage anyone. It's like we're asleep. We're sleepwalking. We're like zombies. And then all of a sudden it comes Easter or Christmas, okay, let's go talk to some unbeliever and bring them to church. Just bring them to church. The whole problem with the Western model is come and see. Because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and find. We don't even see a come and see model. It's all about going and finding the lost, going where they are. And so that's what I would tell my child is every day, I want you to meet at least five people new a day. And you say that now and you think it's so hard, but it's not. Don't you go to the supermarket? Don't you go to the gas station? Don't you go to the dry cleaners? Of course. So engage them. Go to your local coffee shop. Do you even know their names? Probably not, especially if they don't have a badge on their shirt saying what it is because we don't engage people anymore. Everybody listening to you right now, is saying, I don't want to live under that lullaby. I want to live the life that Jesus has called me to. What does that look like for us? I think the biggest thing the Western church has to realize is that evangelism and discipleship is not an event, but a lifestyle. We should be engaging the lost. There's so many places in the West where there's self-checkout lines, or when you go to the gas station, you put your credit card in, and you don't even walk in, or even when you go to your local coffee shop, you use an app, and you don't even walk in and just get your coffee and leave. Are you really a light in that moment? Are you really a city on a hill in that moment? And that's the biggest problem that we see in the West. Everyone wants to run home and watch Netflix. Why? I don't understand it. We don't even engage anyone. Another challenge I guess I could say to the Western churches, look at your contact list. What's the percentage of unbeliever to believer on it? I promise you it's 90% believer, 10% unbeliever. Is that really what Jesus wanted? 
Jesus hung out with sinners, but the Western church hangs out with itself. That's why it's a club. And this is why there's no community. Tell the Western church why they shouldn't live afraid. They shouldn't live afraid because he who's inside of you is greater than he who's in the world. This is why you need to experience Jesus, mind, body, and soul. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a country club, do you? I want to be a part of a movement that brings light to the darkest places that we've been placed. And, and I love the, the documentary, if you get a chance. I'll post it on my Facebook. I encourage you to watch it. But maybe, maybe one step, if you'd say, yeah, man, I'm, I want to say yes. To, I want to be involved. Is in front of you, there's a, a card that says prayer. And if there's somebody in your life that you would say, man, I, I want to see this person come to follow Jesus. And, and I'm going to pray for them, but I want other people to pray for them as well. I want you to write their name on there. I want you to write their name on there and you can put it on the offering basket on the way out. And, and we will be praying specifically with you for the person or persons that you write down. And another thing is, as you pray for people, you got to look for opportunities to share with them. I mean, going to church, and obviously our ran's a little different than here, going to church can be transformational. Obviously, Easter Sunday, some of you have yard signs out in your front yard. We're trying to invite people to come to church. We, we hung door hangers yesterday on people's doors, inviting them. But honestly, going to church can't be our only strategy. It has to be part of our strategy. It's like, it's almost like saying, hey, I'm never going to brush my teeth, but I'm going to go to the dentist three times a year, and that's going to take care of everything. Yes, going to the dentist is great, but it's really good if you brush your teeth every day and then go to the dentist. Man, bringing your, your friend to church, bringing your loved one to church is great and can be transformational, but it's really transformational if you've been praying, caring, and sharing with them all along. And so I want to encourage you to write somebody's name down. Look for opportunities to share Christ with them. And then this next week, as we have this opportunity to bring people to church, I want to encourage you to take 30 seconds of courage and invite them. If it means you got to come both services because one of your friends can go to the early one and one of your friends can go to the late one, man, do it. And let's just see what God does. We have been invited into the mission of God. If you're here or you're watching online and maybe you say, Chris, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I know this message has been mainly focused on people that are followers of Jesus. But if you're here and you'd say, hey, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure how to start a relationship with Jesus. Then, then we, we need you to know this. You're sitting with people and watching someone who is a train wreck that's been saved because of Jesus and his grace, that's it. We, we don't have any, we're no, no one special. We have just been shared grace. Somebody shared grace with us and you can have that same grace. Jesus loved you. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. They put his body in the grave, and three days later, he rose from the grave, and he invites you and I into a relationship with him. And so let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close up this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, and you would say, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Chris, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but man, I, I want to start one.
Uh, I feel God kind of pulling at me on the inside. I'm not even sure what it is or what, it, what, what he's doing, but I, I can feel him pulling at me on the inside. And I, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Would you just in the quietness of this room with nobody looking around, would you just quietly in your heart just talk to God? Just tell God. God, I admit to you that I've disobeyed you. I admit to you that I've sinned. Just tell him. And tell him, hey, God, I I believe. I believe that when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, he did that for me. Just tell God. And then just in the quietness of this moment, just between you and God, just say to God, God, come into my life transform me from the inside out. I want a relationship with you. If you're here this morning and you would say, Chris, today I prayed and decided to start a relationship with God. Before you leave, would you take that card that's in front of you? It's the card that says decide. Just write your name and the decision you made on there. And just drop it in the offering basket on the way out. And what we'll do is we'll call you. We won't bug you. We'll just call you once this week. Just want to make sure you understand your decision and see how we can help you take some next steps. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you, don't get over what Jesus has done in you. And say yes to the mission of God. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for all the gifts you give us. I pray that we would be a church, whether we're watching online or whether we're here this morning, that is not a country club, not here to win a popularity contest, not here to be comfortable, but we want to be here and be a part of the mission of God. We want to take the baton that's been handed to us And we want to faithfully run with that baton until the day comes that we hand it off to the next generation. Help us to hand it off strong. In Jesus' name, amen.